it says in Dzogchen Tantra, we are all Buddhas. Some asleep, some awakened, but we're all Buddhas by nature. Our only task is to awaken to that, to awaken, to recognize that, not just to grow it from a tiny seed, which is one perspective on the path, not just to find the Buddha nature within, like a needle in a haystack, so hard to find. It must be in there somewhere, always looking within. Not just like a needle in a haystack, very hard to find. It is every golden, shining needle of the entire haystack. It is the haystack, and it is what the haystack is sitting on also. It's all hay, all the way through. There's nothing else. It's not a needle in a haystack. It's not just as it is weakly translated in so many dusty Buddhist books. All beings have Buddha nature. That sounds good. But what is this has? You mean like I have a watch? The watch is small and I'm big? This is the wrong perspective. All beings are Buddha nature. Buddha nature is big. It is the ground. Beings are the small, the temporary, the surface, the figure in the figure ground relationship. We are Buddha by nature. It is only temporary obscurations which momentarily veil that fact. As it says in the Havadra Tantra, that my teacher Kala Rinpoche used to quote, the late great Kagyu master, Lama Kalu Rinpoche. He quoted so many times that I even remember it. Unbelievable. I guess it worked after all. He kept saying it again and again, but who was ready to hear it? Not me. It took me 20 years for it to penetrate my numb skull. Such a knucklehead doing hundreds of thousands of prostrations, bowing, praying, chanting, visualizing Buddhas, going here and there, seeking my own head and heart. He said it from the beginning, since I first met him in 1971. One of his famous quotes, a small piece of it, is on your kitchen wall above the doorway. We are deceived by appearances and the appearances of things, it says. That's from a longer quote where he says we are all Buddhas. We just don't recognize it. We're deceived by mere appearances. He says, there's a famous quote, so I happen to remember it. He says, see through the veil of appearances and everything is there. He says, the sunyata, the great silence, the Buddha, it is all within you. Don't be deceived by this gossamer veil of appearances. Recognize your true nature and be free. We are free from the first. We're free to be as deluded or as, in, as enlightened as we like, as unwholesome or as impeccable as we choose. That's the gospel of Buddhism, the good news of Buddhism. The good book of Buddhism says, Buddha is in the palm of our hand. Even that's too far away. Look how far away that is. This is... Buddha is not separate from us and never has been. And forget about Buddha, even that sounds too foreign. Freedom, completeness, realization, 
nirvanic peace, whatever you call it, is not even as far away as the palm of my hand. So it says there's a Dzogchen text called Buddha in the palm of our hand. But what, we, what that really means is use it. Use it. Don't abuse it. Awareness is the Buddha. Present awareness is the Buddha. Our own heart-mind is the Buddha. Use it. Don't abuse it. You're free to use it or abuse it as much as you want. You choose. You can be as, as wholesome, as enlightened, as impeccable, or as deluded, confused, crazed, as you like. You choose. As long as you're willing to accept the consequences. That's karma. Nobody else is doing it to us. So this teaching of the innate great perfection is the non-dual teaching of Buddhism, at the heart of all the Buddhist teachings. It's the absolute truth, if you think of the two truths as explained in Mahayana Buddhism, absolute truth, great emptiness, shunyata, wisdom on one hand, relative truth, interdependent origination, ethics, karma, cause and effect on the other hand. The two wings of the bodhisattva, like bird, flying to enlightenment. As a bird can't fly with only one wing, the bodhisattva can't soar in the space of freedom <coughs> without the two wings of wisdom and compassion, absolute and relative truth, wisdom and love, compassion, unconditional love. So this teaching embraces both. It's based in the basic teachings of Buddhism. Usually we we ground this in the precepts and the Eightfold Path and Four Noble Truths and so on. But particularly concentrating on the view from above, the non-dual awareness practice, sometimes called in Tibetan Dzogchen or Mahamudra. Not that different, perhaps, than some other that found in some other traditions. I don't want to go into all that tonight, but not that different. In fact, it is said to be at the heart of all the traditions. It is the mystic teaching of spirituality. It is beyond Buddhism also. It predates the time of Shakyamuni Buddha. It's said by Namkainobu Rinpoche that it's been around for aeons, that it exists on other planets and so on. He's a Buddhist historian, very interested in his thought. It's beyond isms and schisms. It's the truth itself. It's where all the teachings converge in this heart of things as they are. The great perfection or wholeness of beings and things, everything. That's why in Zen, for example, Hakuin Zenji says, in his song of Zazen, like water and ice, without beings there are no Buddhas. Like water and ice, one single nature, water, in two different temporary states, frozen or unfrozen. Then at the end of that long poem, forget about the middle, the last shloka, the last verse is, this very land where you stand is the pure land. And he didn't mean Japan, I'm sure you know. This very land is the pure land. This very body, and he didn't just mean him, Zen Master. This very body is the body of Buddha. 
this very land where you stand is the pure land, nirvana. This very body, the body of awakening, Buddha. This Dzogchen teaching introduces the absolute truth of things as they are, how it has been since the beginning was beginning. It's not a gradual approach. Of course, we also practice with the gradual path of sila, samadhi, and prajna, ethics, concentration, meditation, and wisdom. But this is called the view from above, sweeping down, swooping, sorry, swooping down from above with the view of mahashunyata, great emptiness, total openness, nothing to do and no one to do it. Swooping down from above, seeing things just as they are, always have been and always will be, their nature. While at the same time we're sweeping down from above with the ultimate view of Dzogchen, climbing up, or as we say in New York, schlepping up from below through the relative practices, the gradual practices. Again, the two truths perfectly balanced, swooping down from above with the great view of Shunyata while climbing up from below according to each our ability with the relative practices in this relative world where we all live, let's face it. Swooping down from above sounds great, but we don't want to have a crash landing. So we want to ground this in actual spiritual life and spiritual practice, in ethics and impeccability, in collectedness and awareness practice, not just rationalizing it, so we don't even do any practice at all. Say, I'm already Buddha, nothing to do. Go out hunting and shoot your neighbor by mistake also. Doesn't matter, no one to die. That's true, if you realize that, then there's also no one to be punished and no one to go to prison and no one to get hung and all that. That's why it says in the tantric text, you can't kill people until you can resurrect them. That's the point. Don't get too abstract out there. So although I've heard some people say, you know, this non-dual teaching, whether they call it, you know, Dzogchen or Vedanta or whatever, you know, so many names these days, so many ideas. They say that's the already enlightened school. I think that's a little too sudden, as Jeeves would say. <laughs> too sudden, Bertie. Yes, Trungpa Rinpoche excuse me for mixing all these people up it's my, it's my lineage Trungpa Rinpoche said of course in response to a question about this of course it's true that all thoughts everything is the Dharmakaya that's absolute truth if you want to translate but he says but it's too soon to say so So here in the context of traditional Buddhist practice, formal Buddhist practice, a monastic setting, silence, meditation, and other virtuous activities, chanting and praying and vegetarianism and everything. In, in that formal structure, then we go, let go with our minds totally informally 
allowing it to be free and noticing just how it is, not trying to control it, seeing its own nature through the kind of practice we're doing here, sky gazing or cutting through, seeing through, called treasured in Tibetan. Being Buddha, not seeking for Buddha. Seek it and you will never find it because it is not outside yourself. It's like chasing the rainbow, chasing the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, which you can never catch, or a dog chasing its own tail. Even if the dog catches it, so what? So in this practice, we are relating directly to the awareness itself. We're not using visualizations, mantras, initiations, concentration techniques, yoga, asanas, so many things that we consider supportive practices. Yet, what is the common denominator of all spiritual practice? Which is what we're interested in. We would say it's awareness. I'm not saying it's mindfulness of an object. I'm not saying it's meditating. I'm saying it's awareness. If we practice devotional yoga, physical yoga, energy and breath work like pranayama and that kind of yoga, tantric yoga, meditation, prayer, bowing, chanting, it all comes down to the awareness. It all rests on our intention to pay attention on the attention. I gave a list of kinds of practice. If you're doing them distractedly, how much can you get? You don't get as much out of it as if you pay attention. It is attention that is the essence of the matter. Attention and intention, motivation, equals awareness. Not just sitting formally with crossed legs meditating, but in every moment, sacralizing our entire life and realizing the inherent sacredness of everything. Everything is part of this path. So Dzogchen is explained, usually, this innate great perfection teaching according to the ground, the path, and the fruit. The ground is said to be, in Tibetan, it's called Rigpa, but I'll just translate that, awareness with a capital A. The ground is all this awareness, innate awareness, non-dual awareness, pure being. The path is this awareness, the path that we practice. The ground is our fundamental being, nature, the awareness. The path that we practice is the awareness, like exercising our own muscles. We don't have to get new muscles, just exercising them. So in this practice, we're exercising this awareness. And the fruit, the result, is this none other than this total awareness. That's why it said path is not this path is not very long from the ground, the beginning to the end. There is no distance. Realization is now or never. As always. It is always now or never. We can't postpone it. Can't postpone it. Present moment is only moment the only moment there ever is. Get out of the construction business. You can't build nirvana. It's not a construction that we can fabricate and put get together. 
It's a little more subtle than that. It is the ground. It is the f- that all these figures appear in, like waves appearing in the infinite sea. So in this practice, we're looking into settling back into that pure nature, recognizing it, getting used to it. Not trying to obtain it. Not waiting three endless aeons to get there. In Dzogchen tradition, it's <clears throat> this is all a matter of advertising, but I just pass it on. Thus have I heard. It doesn't take three endless aeons as it does in the Bodhisattva path. <clears throat> it doesn't take many lifetimes, 16 lifetimes, seven lifetimes, as it says in different tantric vehicles. It's within this lifetime, like Milarepa became Buddha, even though he had an evil early life, killed people through magic and so on. He became Buddha in 15 or 20 years through this kind of practice, Mahamudra and Dzogchen. So it's in this life, they even say in seven years or three years, but never mind. It depends on how you practice it. It doesn't depend on specialized knowledge, on studying foreign languages, on learning Buddhist iconography, even on being a Buddhist. My teacher, living precious teacher in Nepal, took Urgen Rupche, still alive. He doesn't even ask people if they've taken refuge. Every other Tibetan teacher makes you take refuge in bodhisattva vows before you can do anything. Then hundreds of thousands of vows and all kinds of mantras. He just teaches this directly. He and other teachers like His Holiness Kempo Jigmi Punsok, who just came out of Tibet last year to America and Europe for the first time. An old Lama that never left Tibet before. Traditional old Lama. This is not just something that we renegades made up. We mavericks, you know, from California, wherever we come from. Or Gaia House, like Christopher Titmus, <laughs> the chief maverick, and her- or heretics like Stephen Batchelor. <laughs> this is something that the traditional Lamas say. This Lama from Tibet went around everywhere saying, this is the time of Dzogchen. These teachings were hidden for so long. Now they're ready to be taught and practiced by people of keen acumen, of sharp faculties in this modern age. This is not the time to memorize texts for 30 years, as has been done in Asia for centuries. Not the time to debate over every hair-splitting point, as has been done in Asia for centuries. I don't know, but I look around the room, maybe it's not the time for monasticism. Who knows? That's still valuable, of course. This is the time for the direct path. Of the, we don't have time to fool around. It's a turbulent time, and the world is in crisis. If this resonates with, if this kind of truth resonates with your deepest heart, then you're ready for it. Take it up. It's the time for going directly to the point. To the point. And then all the other practices, the relative practices, the different traditions are enhanced, even if you just make a bow, say a mantra, pray, whatever, offer a candle, you know who is bowing to whom. And that bow is greatly enhanced, and it's a liberating practice, it's not an empty rite and ritual.
lighting the candle becomes a liberating practice, not just an empty rite or ritual. When you relate to clear light of reality, not just burning a candle in front of the Buddha and praying that he'll send you a sun, as they do in Burma and Thailand and Tibet and elsewhere. But every practice becomes true spiritual practice. Nam Kainobu Rinpoche went, took his students on pilgrimage to India one year, and he was going around at all the Hindu temples in Benares, you know, ringing the bell, the Hanuman temple, he'd ring the bell to Hanuman, and the Shiva temple, Shiva, he didn't care. And the student said, Rinpoche, what are you doing? You're supposed to be a Buddhist. Why are you worshipping all these Hindu gods? And moreover, what good does it do to ring the bell? And he said, I'm a Dzogchen practitioner. It's all Dzogchen. What Hindu god? What Hindu? What Buddhist? What bell? (laughs) (laughs) What Lama, for that matter? (laughs) Look in the Heart Sutra, see what it says. We'll do that chant this week, but you know, not this and not that. No, no, no. I call it the Not Sutra. Not this, not that, not that. Not nothing. You can't, you know, you can't get by that one. That's the idea. This teaching is a joy, a light, light. There's a lot of lightness about it. Because it's impossible to take ourselves too seriously here. Everything we do, we've seen in the, that more cosmic light, that view from above as, as relative or in perspective. You know, in the cosmic perspective of infinite time and geolo- geologic time and infinite space. Excuse me. What difference does it make if one of us gets enlightened or not? Or has a good meditation this morning? We're all going to die. Six billion of us are going to die. All the insects and everybody are dying out there right now. So, lighten up. (laughs) 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 Go light and know the flowers, as Gary Snyder says. Stay on the path, go light and know the flowers. Don't carry a big rucksack full of Buddhist books. (laughs) get a bad back Milarepa sang nature is all the books I need to read I don't want to give an anti-intellectual rap but you know what I'm talking about Milarepa said contemplate the nature of your own heart mind truth is not found in books nature is the only book I need to read Thich Nhat Hanh said, I think this might be in the precepts of the order of interbeing, I forget. Thich Nhat Hanh said, or wrote, life is not found in concepts. Life is found through living. Not life, truth. Truth is found through living, not in concepts. Through living fully. So here we're practicing doing what we're doing fully for once. Of course, it's impossible to really do that for most of us, but we pretend. When we're sitting, we're just sitting. When we're walking, just walking. When we're eating, just eating. Not at the same time watching television, talking on the phone, reading the newspaper, and thinking about yesterday and tomorrow. But just 
doing what we're doing, fully present, and looking into who or what is doing what around here. Very revealing if we really inquire into that in that way. Whatever we're doing, suddenly, who or what is doing this? Who is ringing the bell? Who is bowing to whom? That's profound practice. Not just counting our bows and counting our gongs, counting how many hours we invested in the meditation banks. That's not the way it works. It's a little more subtle than that, isn't it? It's about the quality of our investigation and our inquiry into things, quality of our awareness, not just the quantity of it, obviously. So Dzogchen is also explained according to the view, the meditation, and the action. So I've been just playing with this tonight, but this view is that we're all Buddhas and everything is pure and perfect from the first. It's only appearances which deceive us. But that our nature is pure and untrammeled from the first. This is the inherent freedom or perfection of being. That's the view, the outlook of Dzogchen. The meditation is getting used to that, not just sitting with your legs closed and your eyes closed and your nose closed and mind closed and everything closed. Open, natural, and present. And at ease also with whatever is. That's the meditation, sometimes called non-meditation of Dzogchen. That's the view of meditation. Then the action or the activity, Buddha activity, comes spontaneously from that compassionate, impeccable, appropriate activity. That's the view of meditation and action as Ojin. So all the practices we do here are working with that principle. We'll be going into different things this week. But... The main thing is recognizing this truth and seeing how we limit ourselves. How difficult it is to accept how things are and how we are. To see them just as they are and leave them just as they are. And let it alone for once. Is there anyone here who hasn't experienced for at least one moment in this dreamlike life, that wholeness and peace and perfection that is being spoken of here? Is that something so foreign to us that only Meister Eckhart and Millarepa experienced? If they did, who knows? Is that so foreign to us? Doesn't it resonate with our deepest experience in this life? That's the innate great perfection. That's not something a master has to swoop down from Tibet to sell you or give you or grow with you somewhere. It's where we're coming from, not what we're heading towards. It's our own true nature. Whether you call it enlightenment, awakening, realization, satori, breakthrough, it is only to recognize our own true nature. That's Buddha nature. 
That's the point of all practices. To recognize, to awaken who and what we truly are. That's our only job. Sleeping Buddhas, awaken. Throw off your chains. Recognize who and what we truly are and be free forever. Beyond birth and death also. Beyond all duality and limitation. So this is the non-dual teaching of Buddhism. Actually, I found this often, not often enough maybe, but often in Thailand in teachings by Achan Cha and Buddha Dasa and Christopher Titmus. I found it in, in Zen quite clearly, in Vedanta and in other places. So it's not like somebody has the corner on the market here. Even that it's just Buddhist. Anyway, who cares about Buddhism? Aren't we looking for freedom or peace or whatever? Not just a new group to join? So as we ease into this practice of openness and awareness, let's really look into it and experience it for ourselves. Confirm for ourselves all these rumors passed down from the ancient ones. Mere rumors until we confirm it, verify it, actualize it for ourselves. Then we can truly embody this Buddha nature, actualize and embody it. Then we can truly take refuge, find refuge in the Buddha, knowing the truth in Buddha, in the Dharma, expressing or speaking the truth, Dharma, and refuge in Sangha, living and embodying the truth. That would be reliable refuge, not just converting to the club of the three jewels. Converting from what to what? Anyway, So, that's all I'd like to say tonight, is I'd very much like to hear from you any questions you might have, particularly about the practice that we've been doing. We've only been here 24 hours, but it seems a lot has happened. Tomorrow we'll start the um, personal interviews. I'm sure most of you saw the list on the board. Anybody have any questions, particularly about the practice that we've been doing? Please feel free. Don't be shy. The more basic, the better. Like, why should I keep my eyes open? <laughs> in, yes. In your guided meditations, when you suddenly spring on the, you know, now check out who is it or who who is right. The self-inquiry yeah. question. Yeah. Um, it feels for me that I just go straight into an intellectual inquiry. Shame on you. <laughs> <laughs> right, well that's why when I say that I try to remind you to sense it directly. Don't just think about it. To sense it. Feel it, sense it. But, you know, the intellect is part of it. Mm-hmm. The intellect is a good tool but a poor master. That's the problem. We're too often it's thrall, 
but it's a good tool. So you tell me who is experiencing your experience when you ask that question. What comes up? Don't edit it. Tell me. No, no, no. Just tell me now. Don't even think. You know, intellect is good. Just tell me now. Right. So who? What is that? Whose experiences? No, who, whose experiences? You don't have to make a sentence, you know, just come out with anything. Right. Even like, I don't know, yeah. you know, anything. <laughs> just try anything. One. <laughs> whose experiences? Whose experience? Who is wondering about it? Who's shaking their head? Yeah. Do you know? No. So, I don't know is a very good answer and probably the best one. Why is it so hard for us to not know? I don't know is very liberating because it's true also who knows we're not after some particular answer anyway this is a very revealing process Krishnamurti calls it freedom from the known he says the known is a big obscuration see I don't know is extremely profound and liberating I don't know so keep your eyes peeled. You know, keep your eyes open, then you might find out. There's wonder afoot. I know, I know, I know. You know, you have to pay for all those thousands of kilos of excess baggage. Pay for every ounce. So I exhort you to look use that scalpel-like question to cut through these impacted concepts that we're stuck with because they limit us. That's our gilded cage. That's where we live, our familiar prison cell. Although the door is open, not only that, there aren't even any walls, but never mind. We're afraid to come out of the corner. We just rearrange the furniture and paint the walls a different color. And, you know, we're Buddhas now with the world of saffron or the world of white. <laughs> there aren't even any walls, not to mention a cell or, you know. But it's scary out there. Anything goes. You'd be prepared for that. Behind I don't know is nobody's telling me what to do. Everything's possible. Then what? I'm a little problem actually getting beyond me, obviously, that question. Okay. Um, I know it's um, not very helpful, but uh, um, yes, yeah, if I get that question, it's like, oh, me, me. Me? Where is me? Who is me? I know that I think, I mean, it just feels like, mm, I can't get... So where is that, where is that feeling? How do you feel me? Familiarity, comfortableness, friendliness, awareness. So that's good. So, who, well, what is experience? That's why I say what, you know, it's transpersonal, it's not just who. So, if you're getting down to awareness, that's a little different than Julie or me. Awareness is experiencing, you see, awareness is experiencing. What is awareness experiencing? It's hard to find the beginning and end of that. 
kind of black hole. That's what we're interested in, actually. You could say it's awareness, but you know, awareness is also just a concept. There's no such thing as awareness. So what is it, as the Zen master says? What the hell is it? It's a good question to keep alive. And it gets deeper and deeper and more revealing. And that doesn't mean you have to keep thinking about it or asking it again and again, but it's a good reflection and it's a good device for short-circuiting the dualistic mind. The, which is like perceiving objects and there's subject, object, and interaction. It seems like there's three things. But actually, with this, excuse me, short circuits the mind because it's the awareness that's aware of the awareness or something. It's a non-dual. It introduce, it's like the threshold of non-duality. It's not something the mind can understand. We can't know it, but we can be it. We can experience it. So I don't even know if it's awareness. Yeah, that's right. Who said it was awareness? I mean, that's just a nice name. It's just emptiness, dressed up in drag. Nagarjuna <laughs> <laughs> doesn't say it's awareness. He says it's like a dream, but you can't say what it is. If you say what it is, that's already like concretizing. That's why the subtler and subtler, the present awareness or the whatever it is, gets this pure presence, then you can't even say what it is. Awareness, awareness of what, what's happening. It's inconceivable, it's beyond the mind. But we can actually recognize that and practice that. That's the genius of this kind of practice, I find. And I've tried and done a lot of practices in different traditions. Is It really works with this inconceivable ungraspable absolute nature or truth this the nature of awareness not just trying to build up concentration so we can penetrate and cut through and have some experience that will then ripen over some lifetimes and you know that's very gradual and it's also very important transformative but right now it's experienceable and it's usable Buddha in the palm of our hand it's usable it's accessible in the tantric path, in the Vajrayana, in the Tantrayanas, the Vajra, the diamond, the non-dual tantric path, we say, we use the fruit as the path. We're not just watering the seed of Buddha nature so that it will one day bloom and blossom after many aeons of practices into the Bodhi tree. We say we're using the fruit as the path this non-dual awareness is Buddha nature itself, in which everything is naturally present, complete, resolved. Everything is resolved in this openness, this spacious, centerless openness. That's something we can actually do here. As you'll see, we're doing it. We're doing it. This is not a small thing. There about practice. Um, most practice that I've been involved in has been Zen. 
extended period of during the situation where you sort of work through the painful legs and mm-hmm. forceful sitting in some sense. Mm-hmm. And your approach is a more open, mm-hmm. relaxed approach. Are they incompatible or should they be can they be practiced together? Um, well, I'll leave that question open, but uh, it's certainly compatible for me. Yeah. And I practice Zen in Japan. I teach sometimes with Zen teachers, or Zen teachers come to these Dzogchen retreats. I think it's very compatible, for example, if you look at the Shikantaza teachings. Yeah. I don't know what kind of Zen you practice, but it's very similar to that outlook of Shikantaza taught by Suzuki Roshi in Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, or Bankai's Unborn Zen. Yeah. Bankai says everything is resolved in the unborn. Yeah. That needs un- we need to unpack that to understand it. But I think this kind of teaching unpacks and articulates the implications of those statements. Not just sit, mm. but as Suzuki Roshi said, it's all waves of big mind. It's Buddha sitting. Let Buddha sit on your cushions. Why interfere? Does that sound familiar to what we've been doing today? Yeah, it does. Good. I think the genius of Dzogchen, Mahamudra Dzogchen tradition, lineage, is these piss instructions. I'm just translating from the Tibetan terms. We call it the piss instructions, these very pointed, like, personal advice. You know, not just the curriculum in the 84,000 Dharma teachings, the hundred volumes of the Tipitaka and all that. Not just the commentaries by the learned pundits, but the actual pissed instructions, like what the parent says to the child about life, not what the child learns in a book or in school, but really, you know, something very pithy, meaning condensed and distilled out of the whole ocean of stuff, like a thousand milligram vitamin C instead of eating a hundred oranges. <laughs> and I think there's a lot of these, you'll, you'll hear them more and more, these kind of one-line so- sound bites called the Pitt's Instructions of the Dzogchen Lineage. Like Pacho Rinpoche is saying this one, everything is available in the, within the natural state. Oh, that means all the enlightened qualities and everything that Buddhists are trying to realize is available in the natural state. That's enough to re- realize it. The natural state is a profound, it's simple, but it's not so easy to penetrate, but there it is. Any questions, please? What you said about open eyes. Um, I guess I felt like I was getting someplace in my meditation until I came here. <laughs> you know this idea of opening. You were getting here. Now you're here. You don't have to get anywhere. <laughs> this idea of opening the eyes. It sort of reminds me of when I started seriously practicing walking meditation, and I would be so upset with myself because I'd say, you know, it's really not enough. And then I gradually really understood walking meditation and it was enough and I'm hoping Good. that open eyes meditation enough. will be enough. But I mean I look at this wall and I go, Wow, this wall is boring. It's really boring. <laughs> is boring good or bad? I'm not clear. It's in this case bad. Oh, okay, but maybe only not in every case. 
Why don't you look through the wall? Well, I was trying that. I got <laughs> <laughs> Well, look out the window to the well, back of your head. Okay, next time. I didn't try looking out the back of my head, but I did try looking through the wall, and I think I was able to see... I'm open to the global total sense of awareness. Don't just stare through these pinholes. <laughs> I mentioned that today. Leaning back, you know, we're introducing these principles. We're not wall staring, and also we don't care about the wall. We're not opening our eyes to see the wall better. That should be clear. And we could put a Buddha statue here if that would help, but it doesn't really. Just make it feel better. (laughs) You know what I mean. Just tell me it'll be okay, like walking meditation. It'll be okay, like walking meditation. You already told me everything, so you arrive. And who arrived? <laughs> Very good. And um, like walking meditation, it opens up for you. Then you could kind of get the principle. Um, but is there is there some picky answer to why we have open eyes? Yes, because that's more natural. How do we spend our days with our eyes closed? I think you've got something there. Yeah, well, I can get into all, all kinds of stuff with my eyes closed. I'd pr- I'd open I'm not saying it's better to meditate with eyes closed, but you ask me wh- why we do it with eyes open. So I tell you because it's more natural. Ears open, you know, nose open, heart and mind open. So this whole practice is always open eye meditation? Yeah. Is it always open? Um, always is a long time. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the main practice. I mean... You might catch me closing my eyes when I do my, my soulful keening or, you know, <laughs> whatever. Sometimes you visualize, but you know, it's better to visualize your eyes open if you can. Because the practice is about the clarity of awareness, not trying to close your eyes so you can go in or concentrate. It's about the clear light of awareness, which is not just the eyes, but the ears and all the senses and the mind the clear light, the luminosity of being, not just seeing light or, you know, optic phenomena. So, just like the walking meditation, as you said, it totally makes sense once you twig to it. And it's not that far away, you're already catching on. Just stick with it, don't feel like you're just looking at the wall. Actually, why don't you try sitting at the window, facing out the window? You can do that. One of my friends from Switzerland. Suffer. <laughs> Feel free. You're free to suffer as much as you like. Uh, when I Just don't make anybody else suffer. When I, sit, uh, when I sit in the other room and I look out the window, it is a different. It is a different experience. I figure. Well, if it can work out there, then it should work in here also. Yeah. But just the idea of opening eyes, and then when I close my eyes, I go, "Wow! I really enjoy my meditation." I no, I appreciate my closed eye meditation much more. But I'll learn to appreciate it. It is. It's a mind-boggling experience. You might find um, that it's more integrative when you leave here also, since you don't have to close your eyes to have your meditation. You can do it more anywhere. But I don't want to you know, promise too much. Um, feel free to use the facilities, sit by the window. Max Weir, Yvonne Weir's brother. Many of you know Yvonne because she sits here and teaches. Yvonne, Max always comes to my retreats and he sits in the back and faces that way, mm-hmm. out the window, or that way, out the window. Because, you know, he's used to this, and, and 
it's called sky gazing. We actually like to practice outside on the hilltop or even lying on our back looking at the sky or the ceiling. It's a very good way to, you know, that kind of corpse posture at the end of your yoga session. You really let your body drop and become the earth and let your mind drop and just really sky out and then see who or what is present. So don't get intimidated by just a little wall here. It's mostly space anyway, just a few flecks spinning around each other, you know. But openness is the principle, not anything else. So we can be open to anything, including boredom. See through boredom. Walk through boredom. Why be conditioned by every concept, reaction that comes up? Walk on. It says the yogis can walk through walls. That's what it means. Walk through those walls. Not these walls. But the walls of concepts and fear and conditioning. Walk through those walls. Liberation is there. It's nowhere else. It's not in here. You don't have to close your eyes to find it inside either. Fred Van Wallman says, he's a Vipassan teacher, as you know, he says most of, he says all, but I think I'll say most, most of his experiences or insights always come when he's, after he's meditating, when he's just walking. I said, why do you think that is? And he said, well, first I thought it was because my eyes were open, but then I realized it was just because I was relaxed and I wasn't trying. So it's related to the trying and the the strong practice, but it sort of erupts or happens accidentally, as it were. Not quite accidentally, but you know what I mean? Unexpectedly. So allow space to happen. Any other questions? I'd like to hear from anybody I haven't heard from, so don't be shy. Okay. to come here and do this. It didn't just happen by accident. Yeah. So the issue here is, uh, is right effort. Right. Traditional teaching in the Eightfold Noble Path, right, right is not also a bad translation. It's kind of like complete effort or perfect effort or balanced effort. Appropriate balanced effort might be a good translation. It changes in different situations. So we have to find the balance for ourselves between too much effort, struggling and striving and achievement orientation and you know, totally vegging out. <laughs> that's all. When we're doing something we're passionately interested in, we stay up all night. That's right effort. We're passionately interested in if we're passionately interested in awakening and inquiring and finding out what the hell's going on. It's very interesting. And if we're not, we just fall asleep. Just sitting here won't help you, you just fall asleep here. 
So I think in the factor, the mental factor called interest is very important in effort. Then you're naturally interested. You read every book in your field. It's not a chore. If you're not interested, it's a big chore to read all those books so you can get your PhD. Big chore. So right effort is a balanced, appropriate effort. And here, the effort is very finely tuned towards unveiling or sort of settling back into learning about being, not just doing. We all know about doing, I think. Even if we don't know about it, we know about it. You know, because we're always doing. But how in touch are we with the being level from which all the doings proceed? Being is more fundamental. Can we ever just be? Well, we always have to do something to get somewhere, to prove ourselves, to be something, or whatever, get something. That's karma, that's causeness, that's conditioning, that's a vicious cycle of samsara, a vicious circle. So we're looking at the effortlessness of being, which we already, we're not apart from. I mean, there's no problem there. That's what the, and that takes a little training or effort, no doubt. Und, maybe it's not doing, but there's a little of undoing to happen. Undoing the habit of always trying to do more, do it better, do it first. So, this instruction. Patrul Rinpoche, the turn of the century enlightened vagabond of Tibet who never slept inside. He had a vow never to sleep inside, which in Tibet is not a small matter. (laughs) (laughs) You can read about him in the stories in my book and also some other books now just came out. Pachul Rinpoche, patriarch of his ocean lineage, he said, beyond action and inaction both. Beyond inaction, beyond action, beyond both. The sublime dharma is accomplished. So it's beyond action, but it's also beyond inaction or non-action. So how can you figure that out? Like a koan. Being has it down already, but we, our minds can't figure it out. So get in touch more with the being side. There's nothing to figure out. We can do anything. Everything proceeds spontaneously. Acting, inaction, in non-action, whatever, equally. We don't have to be passive. You try to do nothing, that's just another kind of action. So don't paralyze yourself and try not to do anything. That's just trying. Let's just allow ourselves to be more freely and naturally and profoundly experience who and what is doing it all. Anyways, you can get a little theoretical if we think about it. But the practices we're going to be doing here, as I think you've already experience are all tuning into this. We'll be doing a little breathing, we'll be doing a little chanting. But the principle here is this innate wakefulness, innate presence of mind and awareness. Not the effort to produce it, to control the mind, to become mindful. It's a natural mindfulness Total awareness is already present. We're just using it in different ways. 
like our total energy is already present, but maybe we're using half of it to suppress the other half of it. Working against ourselves. But total awareness is functioning right now. That's why Buddha said in the Diamond Sutra, by translations are so problematic, by achieving perfect supreme enlightenment, I obtained nothing new. Obtained nothing new. So you think about that in the light of our usual way of going about things, that we're going about the spiritual work. There is nothing to obtain and no one to obtain it, but that takes some um, looking into, I think, penetrating. It's too soon to assert that too much. Any other questions? Otherwise, we'll wrap it up. So I hope it's clear to everybody um, what we're doing here, or at least how to do it. Even if you don't know what we're doing, just so you know how to do it. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.